I I don't think I've stopped smiling since I got on the plane to get here. I'm sitting in an airport in Georgia, and I'm just awkwardly smiling the entire time, like two-hour layover, and it's like, yes. So first off, for the last few hours or days, I've been praying a lot and just saying, God, how do I start this off? What can I say? I feel like the last four months, there's been so much, and to process all of this is almost ridiculous. And I just can't help but say thank you. I was sitting on the airplane trying to figure out my sermon, putting a slideshow together, and I was going to talk about, you know, stewardship and that title. And then God was like, Boop, nope, switching that up on you. And I was like, all right, cool, here we go. And the theme that I got was, there's a song by a band called Mumford & Sons, which we'll play with the slideshow, and it's called Awake My Soul. And I was sitting on the airplane listening to this, and I was just, like, getting really excited. The girl was, like, next to me. She's kind of like, what's going on over there? But I was just like, yes, this is it. Like, this is the perfect song to kind of, like, describe what has happened. There's this line in the song, and you'll hear it, but it says, In these bodies we will live, and in these bodies we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. And for a lot of us roadies back in San Diego, everyone in the roadie house loves Mumford & Sons, this band. And we would say that on, like to each other on our Facebook status. It's just this one thing where we connected with that. Like something in our soul had awakened and brought us together to do this. And to do this crazy thing, living out of a van and going to high schools and colleges over and over again and showing this documentary. But it was so like powerful to realize like that one line kind of encapsulated all of it for us. So in my thanking you guys for all your support and for my family and this is my way of giving back to you is the best I can. I know we were able to do a screening here, which was awesome. You guys blew it out of the water. And, but I feel like there's more, that you guys deserve more being, you know, the people that I've grown up with that have known me since you were this little. That's all. Oh okay. Not much taller, but it's okay. So <laughs> I have this video that I made. It's really quick, but it's just kind of an overview of what's been my life for the last four months, and I made it to share with you guys because you're my family. And yeah, Eric, if you want to put that up, I hope you enjoy it. How fickle my heart and how woozy my eyes. I struggle to find any truth in your lies <laughs> And now my heart stumbles on things I don't know My weakness I feel I must finally show Lend me your hand and we'll conquer them all But lend me your heart and I'll just let you fall Lend me your eyes, I can change what you see but your soul you must keep totally free ha, 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 ha.
How fickle my heart and how woozy my eyes I struggle to find any truth in your lies And now my heart stumbles on things I don't know My weakness I feel I must finally show bodies we will live in these bodies we will die the way you invest your love you invest your life in these bodies we will live in these bodies we will die and where you invest your love you invest your life Eric, can you put that first slide back up, the quote? We had the honor and the privilege of having this man come and speak to our roadie class before we left the office back in February. And his name is Lieutenant Colonel Africano, and he works for hmm, the Sudanese People's Liberation Army. And he had encountered the LRA because he had been fighting against them and working with the UN and all this stuff. And Joseph Coney personally was aware of his involvement and sent two LRA soldiers in, like, a cooperative operation to go and kill him. And he's sharing a story with us about how this young man came into his house to kill him, and obviously it didn't work because he was speaking to us. And he sat him down, and he said, you know, I could easily have my men come in here, and you do not want to know the kind of stuff they can do to you because of what you're doing, but I want to know you because I know you're not here by choice. Sat this young man down in his home, tea and biscuits, the kind of, you know, African thing to do, 
sat and talked till three or four in the morning, and the kid broke down, said he had been abducted when he was 10 years old, forced to fight all these years. And he said, you know, there's another one who's out there who's coming to get you. And he says, if you tell me where he is, I will let you go free if you promise to return home. And he did. And I'm sitting there with 60 other people who are all about to launch onto the road for 10 weeks, sharing the story of people that we have never met before, advocating for, on their behalf. But this is a quote that he said. It really stuck out to me. I'm going to read it just because I like it. It says, The LRA, or the Lord's Resistance Army's victory, is demoralizing the public of hope and confidence. But we are giving back the spirit to these men and women. We are invisible in that our names will not be on a monument. We are the greatest enemy of the LRA because we give the people back their hope. And it's so true. That's you guys. That's like we, not just roadies and staff members and invisible children, but that's you guys. Anyone, I always told high schoolers this. I loved it because it got them really pumped up. Say, you know, you come to a screening, you buy a shirt, you hear the word invisible children, you kind of know what that means. You're part of the family. You're part of a global citizenship that is working together to end not just this conflict, but bring a whole new wave and a generation that is going to stand for peace and is going to stand that, you know, 25 years of war and 30 to 60,000 children being abducted will no longer be tolerable and will not be able to go on that long. And something that stuck out in that quote was the idea of a monument. My parents came down for Break the Silence on April 25th and came down Easter Sunday after they got to spend a wonderful morning with you. Kind of sad I wasn't here. But they came down to Boston and we were walking around and there are these monuments um, near Faneuil Hall for the Holocaust. And there are these three really big towers and you like really huge and they're to represent the gas chambers. And so you walk through and there are quotes on each of the plasters and like of different people and their experiences. And so I'm going to just read this because I, I blogged about it and I, I I was so overwhelmed by it because it was similar in my heart to what we were experiencing, this injustice. And so, so I said, I said, this afternoon, my parents and I walked through a Holocaust remembrance monument in Boston to kick off our 25 hours of silence. And this quote wrecked me. They came first for the communist and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the Catholics and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me. And by that time, no one was left to speak up. When we walked through each tower, every plate of glass was covered with rows of numbers representing the numbers that were tattooed on the arms of those in the camps. And each tower represented a different gas chamber. I said to my dad through a shaky, teary voice as we walked the cobblestone sidewalk, I wonder what type of monument will be made to honor the lives that have been lost in this war. He said, in all his wisdom, you're building it. Schools, radio towers, rehabilitation centers, and the monument of the lives that are being saved and affected by your work. And that is a memory worth building. And it's true. You guys are a part of that, though. Every dime, every dollar, every thought and movement towards ending this has been building that. You know, we have built over 11 schools in northern Uganda, and now in the Congo alone, there are 12 radio towers that are operating in remote villages and because of the funds we raised through our 25 event, which was standing in silence for 25 hours to reflect on the lives that had been lost over 25 years of war, we were expecting to raise $625,000. Through just 25, we raised $1.7 million. Thanks, Oprah. 
thank you guys. <laughs> it was amazing. Blue, we got to the office after tour and we sat down, you know, all the staff members are there circling up. They said, so we are baffled. This was the most successful tour yet. And I remember coming into the office just thinking, God, I want this to be the most successful. I want people to know, to understand like the heaviness of that. And that's really what happened every day watching the same film of my friend who lost his life in Northern Uganda and this young man, Tony, who is traveling the same, you know, the same country I grew up and he is now taking time out of his life and traveling and telling his story to advocate for his neighbors in the Congo. And because of this, there's a whole other area in the Congo where we're able to build 12 more towers. The LRA has expanded in regions, and it just they haven't stopped. But because of the funds, because of your support and what you've done, we've been able to do more. They told us that during tour, they were working with the Berlin government to try to get the rehabilitation center built, hoping that they would fund the operating costs. And the Berlin government pulled out, and they sat around and said, we don't know what we're going to do. Like, we can't, we can't, we don't know what to do with this. But they said, this is so necessary that we're going to go forward with it and just pray and hope that the funds come, like, what we need. And now, like, within a week of them saying that, Oprah's calling, saying, hey, come on my show. And our founders go on Oprah's show, and checks are still pouring into the office. A nine-year-old boy gave us $150 of his year's worth of allowance in a check. You know, young kids, these guys, all across America, these are the people I met and talked to. And there was this one school, must have been just over halfway through tour. We're all exhausted, not mentally there really anymore. You know, you get asked the same question at least 50 times a day. You kind of lose your enthusiasm. You're like, you should know that. Weren't you in training with us? No? Okay. So we're standing. This school is real small. I, there was a picture of, like, a group of them. That was the entire school, small Catholic school in Connecticut. And the teacher, the principal was like, hey, why don't you come visit our kindergarten class? They know all about invisible children. I'm thinking, a kindergarten class knows about this? That's awesome. So we go and we sit down. They made us these little Easter baskets, paper cups, and all this super cute. And they're like, Robert, do you have video games in Uganda? do you play Wii? What's your favorite candy? And I'm like, vegetables. <laughs> and this one little boy in the back kind of puts his hand up and I'm like, yeah. He goes, so a superhero is someone who helps other people and you're helping other people. So does that mean you're superheroes? <laughs> uh, uh, sure. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. But like, it just, it wrecked me. It totally did. I'm sitting there, I'm like, you're so cute. And we went to a classroom right after that where it was like fifth graders. And they're asking the questions that you don't think about when you know the big picture. You don't think about the small details. And they're saying, so when these kids are abducted, where do they sleep? Do they have blankets? Do they have a roof over their head? Can't their parents defend them? Can't they whittle sticks and make knives and defend themselves? Well, they... Why is this happening? Why isn't, one kid said, why hasn't the U.S. sent their troops over there yet? And I'm like, you're in fifth grade, come on. <laughs> I saw this one nine-year-old girl who kept asking these questions, and it, there are girls her age in the Congo, which is the rape capital of the world, losing something so precious to them by force, and some of them even keeping the very children that they bear because of that. And here's this nine-year-old girl asking where are they sleeping? Why aren't their parents helping them? 
I walked outside. I had to call my dad. I was like, I'm freaking out. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And he said, it's empathy, Kat. I'd be worried if this wasn't happening to you. And I realized in that moment, like, I have to do this again. I never wanted to be a roadie originally. When I met the team that came last spring, Nate Hen, who passed away last summer, had told me, you should do this. Be perfect. I said, nope. I'm sure you've all heard that story, so I won't go there. But after he passed away, I said, I'm doing this to honor you. And to be the only roadie in our class that knew Nate, to carry his story in the very region that he toured in and meet people who knew him. One girl came up to me. She goes, you're Katrina. And I was like, yeah, this is at Gordon College. She just breaks down on my shoulder. And she goes, I know you from Innocence Facebook wall and from Nate. And no one else I know knows him, but I knew him. I, I didn't know, like, the depth of what had happened. And I was there, and I was able to comfort her. And that happened several times. But what I realized is, like, I'm no longer just doing this to honor my friend as important as that is, but in that moment, talking on the phone with my dad and discussing it with my teammates later, that I want to bring these kids home. No child should have to live in fear of being abducted or mutilated or killed. No child should be abducted and then forced to kill their own family members in a way to make them feel like they can never go home. So what we're doing with these radio towers is so key because we're sending out a twice daily warning saying, if you come out of the bush, if you come out of the rebel ranks, we have a safe haven for you. In the last two weeks, it's reported that at least nine people have come out because of the radio towers alone. That's huge. It's awesome. They interviewed this one young man. They showed us a video of it. And he said he had been fighting in the LRA for two years. Can't even think of how many people he had killed. But because of what he heard on the radio, he came out and found a safe haven and found Invisible Children, what we were doing. And now he's going to be operating one of the towers, sending that same message to his friends who are in the bush. That's huge. (laughs) You can't imagine after 10 weeks of exhausting yourself, sitting in an office just going, oh, good. Thank you. Like, this is paying off. And that rehabilitation center is going to be so awesome. Just think of the trauma these people, these young kids have been experiencing for God knows how many years. Now they're going to be able to go through art therapy and process everything. And in a way, when they come out, they're going to burn the camo that they were in the bush in as a way of saying, I'm no longer identified by that. I have found forgiveness. And we're going and we're sending teams into different villages and training them on how to receive these kids when they come out of the bush. Because there have been times where Joseph Coney will send a child soldier out as a way of saying, like, oh, I'm surrendering, but it's a decoy, and then they'll come in and attack. But now we're training them on how to recognize that. We're sending rescue teams out because these kids sometimes get wounded. They manage to escape, but they're stuck hundreds of miles away from their home. So these teams are being locating their family members based on just, like, little hints. These people are volunteers from local villages who know the area. They're not, like, our workers. These are just volunteers who have heard the plight of these children and have responded because they know that's the only thing they can do right now. Some villages we've seen are making their own muskets and bow and arrows and their own safety precautions and going out in certain times of the day and circling around their village with these janky guns just saying, it's the least we can do to save our families. I was telling a friend about that two nights ago, and she said, that still happens. I said, yeah, still happens. It's going on, but if we're so removed from it, 
And that was the thing I recognized in so many teachers and sometimes students talking to him on the phone the first two weeks of being in California, begging them, like, can we come to your school? We got this documentary. We want to show it to you. Oh, how much does it cost? It's free. Like, it's free for you. It's going to be awesome. And, you know, that kind of like, we don't want, you know, like indoctrinating our children. But after they see this documentary, they hear Robert's story. I can't tell you how many teachers came up to us with tears in their eyes saying, I've never seen my kids respond so well to anything. Kids will, you know, you shut off the lights, you start the movie, there's this like white line that goes across. All you kids are screaming and like joking around. And Bailey, my teammate, may or may not have gotten catcalled from the stage just a couple of times, but she kept her cool. They trained us on that. But it was awesome to see within the second they connected it. And we ask students sometimes, like, what was the point that made you realize, like, I have this similarity. Like, I can do something about this. And a lot of them said, making it personal. You know, they show in the documentary Tony as a young kid listening to rap music, talking about the American celebrity girls he wants to date and, you know, playing soccer. And they realized, they said, he's just like me. I talk about that kind of stuff. And he's going through this, like, what can I do to help? This one young man, never forget him. He actually had dinner at our house a few weeks later. Anthony, he was awesome. He sat in the back of the screening, and I was doing the intro that time, and, you know, we always do questions after, and his arm swings up. What can I do to help? I'm like, how old are you? He's like, I'm a junior. He's like, well, you can't be a roadie yet. Let's talk after. So he comes up to me all fired up. He's like, like, can we raise money? Can we get, like, bands to come in? What can we do? What can we do? So lunch break comes around. We have hundreds of kids piling through the lunchroom. We got our merchandise table set up, and he's just standing there, like, all hyped up, like, do you guys want me to, like, sell anything? You want me to go get people? We're like, here's a bucket. Go get change, because we do this thing called change for change. So this other girl was almost as pumped up as him, but not quite, and they had this little competition going on. So for two lunch periods, they were running around the entire school, Going to classrooms. The kid just, well, I'm videotaping him because I don't believe what's happening right now. He just barges into classrooms. He's like, Mrs. So-and-so, donate $20 and I'll shave my head. And then the girl, she's going in. She goes, for every $5 bill I get, I'll go a day without shaving my legs. And they're all like, done. Like, just to see if she'd do it, you know? Like, these kids are crazy. They raised $300 out of change. I was like, what? You all get free t-shirts. You <laughs> have a free t-shirt. And so that next weekend, they came up, went snowboarding with us, like you saw in the slideshow, and had dinner at our home. And I remember sitting there thinking, last time I was doing this was with that team that came and inspired me to be that hyped up. What is going to happen to this kid? Like, they, his friend told me that he would never get involved with anything like this. This is awesome. I still talk to him. He's, like, legitimately a changed person. We're doing a big thing this August called the Fourth Estate. And we're having 650 of the top fundraisers and students from across America come out to San Diego, and we're doing a four-day conference with them, training them on being advocates and understanding the issue and, you know, the business side of it, the art and media. And we're going to have major speakers. The roadies are going to be mentoring 10 students each throughout these four days and throughout the summer. And each team got to pick five people to, like, designate a spot at the summit. And my teammates and I looked at each other. We got the email. We are like, Anthony. Yeah, let's get him. So we call him. We're like, yo, 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 we got a surprise for you. He was like, no way. He's like so proud. He's like, I'm going to tell my mom. I'm going to run around buckets and get more change. I'm going to come out there, I promise. 
It's just like stuff like that that make, reminds me, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drive around from like upstate New York all the way to Dover, New Hampshire in six hours, the entirety of 89 overnight. Like crazy stuff we did. And it was so worth it. And I, like I said, I just have you guys to thank. I couldn't do this without you guys. And I'm constantly reminded of that and humbled by it every day. When I hear these reports come in about what's happening with the LRA and, you know, with Invisible Children, what we're doing, a lot of it is so heavy. One of our last screenings, we heard a report that Joseph Coney's intentions at this point are to annihilate all of the kids that he's abducted before he's arrested because he knows what coming, what's coming to him. And at first we thought, well, maybe that's just a rumor. And then we got another email from a young girl who had been abducted in 2007 and managed to escape and she was interviewing with our founders, and she said, you know, I was in the LRA for four years, and Joseph Coney's intention is to annihilate every alien that he's abducted. And she said, majority of the kids he's abducted are now from Central African Republic, Southern Sudan, and Northern Congo. The aspect of Uganda is, isn't really there for him anymore. He's just there. When, as soon as we heard that, my teammate and I were in the middle of a high school hallway, and we just sat there and prayed and cried together. He said, what else can we do? What else can we do? And that's when I realized, I said, without God on our side, we can't do this. We will fail. Joseph Coney will be able to do whatever the heck he wants. But God is so much bigger than that. They say, oh, who is this guy that he can torture so many countries? I'm like, who's my God? Who is my God? And the awesome thing about that is that our founders feel the same way. And they understand this. And I've never seen so much favor in my life. I've never felt so much joy and purpose when, you know, Eric was talking about, like, celebrating this morning. I just got pumped. I'm like, that's going to continue, like, just what I left. The first day we get back in the office, this part's really cool. It's kind of, kind of awesome. The, they, they tell us, okay, tomorrow you're going to come to the office, bring an overnight bag, dress nice, and bring a bathing suit. We're like, what? They're like, it's a surprise. Don't worry about it. So... We're all getting dolled up in the bathroom at the office, and they drive us in the van to this hotel. We look out. There's a three-story boat and room assignment. So, like, yeah, we got a boat. So we sit down on the bottom, like, floor, and the founder, Jason, is talking to us about, like, random physical quirks that everyone has. Like, one kid could, like, put his knee behind his head. He's, like, basically killing time. He's like, all right, we got a video to show you. And he shows us Oprah's story. And I'm like, okay, Oprah, I've heard some rumors, kind of sketch, but I'll... Obviously, we'll watch it. We were on her show. Her story was so crazy. And then right at the end of it, and they go, oh, yeah, Oprah paid for all of this for you guys. She said off camera to our founders, hey, you know, I know what the roadies do. They need something. Let me do this for them. So we had a six-hour dinner dance party on a three-story boat followed by a day at the beach. And I was like, yeah, living the high life, working for free. <laughs> it was awesome. You know, we sat there listening to her story. We're already emotionally wrecked because of what she's saying to us. Like, you know, you are worthy. I'll never forget that. So many people live in this, like, shell and this fear. And when she said that, because she told us her story of, like, how God really brought her out of so much, like, with racism and the, the path that she took. And she said that. It just resonated with all of us. And hearing that, like, she did that for us, it was more like, thank you, God, that your favor is on us. I mean, we all know Jesus loved to party. 
He loved having a great time. The Jews are all about celebrating. And I thought, this is, this is awesome. This is life. Because, yeah, there is this awful, awful thing happening across the world. But if we get bogged down by that constantly, like one kid said, oh, I just want to drop out of high school so I can go help them. I said, no. The best thing you can do to help them is do good for yourself. You have a chance to have this education. These kids walk miles. They would risk their very life just to have a book. Stay in school, finish well, find what you want to do with your life, what makes you come alive, and do that. That's the best thing you can do to help them right now. And she was like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. Got it. Good. I'm glad you got onto that because your parents probably wouldn't like us anymore. <laughs> yeah, my daughter dropped out of school because it's an invisible children program. Okay. So in these bodies we will live, and in these bodies we will die. Where you invest your love, that's where you invest your life. And you guys have invested in me, and I hope you know that that investment is changing lives across the world right now. I'm so humbled. I really am. When I heard the news that, you know, I applied for the team leader position for the fall, thinking, you know, I have my plan going on in my head like I always do. I'm always planning. And I had asked my dad, I was like, what should I do? He goes, oh, you're going to apply for it, right? I'm like, yeah, okay. So I apply, and my friend tells me, oh, you know, if we get the position, we have to be back on the 30th of May. And I was like, there goes my summer in New Hampshire with my family. Okay. But, like, I call my dad again. I'm always calling him. Sorry. Blowing up your phone. <laughs> and he just says, he's like, well, you got to do what you got to do, right? Like, yeah, like, this is the least I can do, apparently. You know, these very kids who have been ripped apart from their families against their will, the least I can do is take a break from mine to give them a second chance to have theirs back. And that's why I'm doing it again. That's why May 30th, I'm gone for seven months. I cried a little bit when I realized that the other night with Lisa, but her and I were sitting there Friday night and she said something that really struck with me. I didn't grasp it completely. She said, I had this vision and I see like these little beady eyes in darkness, like these little kids and I was like, under, knew exactly what that was. It's these kids who are in darkness for 25 years, and no one's bringing light to them. They're invisible. And all of a sudden, I just closed my eyes, and God showed me, like, kind of a different perspective where I was seeing it from their eyes. And what I saw was this tower with, like, high schools around it. And all of a sudden, the kids just started pouring out of the darkness to these towers in the school. And they're all lit up, and God was like, that's what you're doing. Bring, you're making these kids visible, giving them a, a light, giving them a hope. That is our weapon. Our potential is our weapon right now. And if you guys can grasp that, like, we went over what we call the ABCs of life, right, before all the Ugandans got to the office. Our founder, Jason, gave us these. So I'm going to share them with you, the points that stuck out to me the most. A, alive or awakened. The world needs people who are alive. And the verse that I got with that is in Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. And the picture I get with that is these kids running and going through the bush and covered in dirt, and God is telling them, sing for joy, awake. That night we did a screening here. A woman from Congo stood up during our Q&A, and she said, for years I have been praying for someone to give a voice to these children, and you have answered my prayers. 
I'm standing there with Robert. I just looked at him. I was like, what to say? Like, I'm just here. I'm just trying to do what God wants. I'm just alive. And if we can connect with that aspect that no one chooses to be born, but here you are. So now what are you going to do with that? You know, God has the fullest life for us. But so often we don't pay attention to the B. A is alive. B is be yourself. You playing small doesn't serve the world. No one can be you. They tell us that all the time in the office. No one can be the roadie that you can be. But God has created us as such beautiful and wonderful individuals. No one can be you. But especially, you know, you're in high school. All you want to do is be someone else. You, you see them. You admire their clothes, their style, who they are. You just want to be like that person. And it's good to have those people we admire. But to what extent? God has created you. He has given you this life to live, to be alive, to be you, and to understand that it's so key. As we are liberated from our fears, we automatically liberate others. Live inside God's dream for you. Align yourself within that possibility. That's what I did. I just saw this, and I thought, I have dreams but this is what God wants, so I'm just going to go for this. And I got free surfing lessons. I got to do a road trip at a boat party for six hours. Live in the dream. But simply because I walked within what God wants. He said, come this way. I'm, All right, here we go. No idea what's going to happen, but let's go for it. Being alive, living to breathe, breathing to honor him and to worship him is the best thing that you can do. Because you're going to live fully by just being who you're created to be. Which brings us to C. So A is alive, B is be yourself, and C is create. We are created with life from the creator. That idea of like a human being coming into this world has like that piece of its parent and that identity within them and picks up these little quirks from their parents and they're like, oh my God, I'm my mom, you know? But oh my God, I'm like God. How often do we say that? Oh, shoot, he created me, and I'm just like him. Oh, that's awesome, because he created you to be you and to be alive. So we are blessed with these talents and these things that just kind of, you know, when you connect with something or someone, and part of your heart just, like, flutters, and you're like, oh, yeah, this feeling. Can I hold on to that? God wants that for us. So, like, I've told so many high schoolers and colleges, pursue that. Pursue your passion. Maybe it's not child soldiers in Africa. Maybe it's not sex slaves in Cambodia. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's the poor in New York City or the poor in Boston or those people that when you walk by them, all you can do is fall on your knees and cry for them because you see God in them. Pursue that. Pursue cleaning the church on Saturday mornings and coming to engage on Friday night. Something other than just sitting around and just being. God wants you to be alive. Life to the fullest. He wants you to create. Be alive, be you, and create. Because God's given you that gift. If we're like him, he's a creator. He's given us these, and we can do the same. And then D is death. The death of self. It's biblical, that's for sure. We all know that. I have a little plaque in my room that says, To live is Christ and to die is gain. And I used to think that was some dramatic scene up on the altar and crying and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, okay, I'm dead now. 
it's a daily thing. It's when I'm in the van driving for eight hours and I'm exhausted. I haven't eaten since nine o'clock because we're trying across the country in two days. And my teammate gets a little snappy with me. It's me not snapping back. It's when the high schooler comes up and just asks that other question, the same thing his friend just asked. It's me being just as excited and compassionate because I see the care in their heart. It's dying to ourselves, that part of us that says, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be me, that part that's disgusted with us. God says, die to that. Live for me. Be alive. Be you. Create things and just see the life that comes forth from that. I know last summer we did a series on seeds. And there's always that phrase that says, unless a seed dies, it won't produce fruit. And so there's this shell that we're encapsulated in. And unless we die and that falls off, that little shoot can't come up and find the light. You'll remain invisible. But if you can find it in yourself and in God and understand that the freedom and the life that he has for you is so much better than hiding in that little shell, it will liberate you. It will liberate others. A phrase that we always said was vulnerability begets vulnerability. And it's so scary. It's so scary. I mean, not everyone lives with the same four people in a van for 10 weeks, but we have to live with each other in some level. But God has community. He has designed this for a reason because it's his design. It's his purpose. It's his creation to see people come together who love him, who want to serve justice and love mercy and walk humbly with their God. And part of that is just walking humbly with one another. And that can get really nasty. I know. My teammates' feet smelled so bad. But I loved him anyway. But I served him anyway. And that's what God has called us to do, is to serve one another in who he's created us to be. So another verse I have is Ephesians five fourteen. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says... Awake. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I love that verse. Awake, my soul. David in the Psalms constantly is telling his soul what to do. Bless the Lord, O my soul, because I'm an adulterator and I just murdered someone. Awake, my soul, and bless the Lord. When I, when I mess up and I fail and I feel like I just not meeting that bar that I have set. Awake my soul and bless the Lord. Because he's created you. Grace upon grace upon grace. How often do we sing that? How often do we talk about it? But we don't get it. God has been like ministering that to me. I know my dad read a quote from a book I gave him called Amazing Grace. I found it in Borders and I sat down and I started reading it. And I'm just like weeping. Like I get it. Like who does God love more, the murdered or the murderer? Who does God love more, the child soldier or Joseph Coney? I still fight with that. You abduct 30 to 60,000 children. I don't really see you worthy of much grace, but yet God does. It's not my judgment. But God is a righteous God. He is a just God, and he has created us to just love. That is really what I see it all comes down to. It all comes full circle to understanding what love is and pursuing that with one another. They told us all the time, pursue your teammates, pursue love. You know, people would see 
pictures of Robert and I, and my sister was like, oh, are you guys in love? And I'm like, yeah, but not like that. We just, we have to love each other or else probably kill each other. But like just finding that, that commonality and really being intentional, being vulnerable, taking that risk and finding freedom. I've never been so happy and free in my entire life. And it's not because I got surfing lessons and a big boat party. Like I was way happier before the boat party. I was expecting to sit in the office for a few more hours and work more. But I was happy to do it. I was happy to get up at 5 o'clock every day, get to the office at 6 or 7, and not leave till 9 o'clock at night. I was okay with that because I saw that my life was actually counting for something, that I count it all joy. And that's what God has for us. It may not look the same as what it looked for me, but find that. Find what God has for you in the midst of your day-to-day, in your job, and your family, and in what you do. Find God in that because you'll get so much out of it. You know, they tell us that at Invisible Children, you are our billboard. As roadies, you come in, you're our volunteers. Now we send you out and you're our billboard, so you better know what you're talking about. But it's cool to know that I'm not technically working right now, but I'm sitting at CJ's where I used to work and someone mentions what I'm doing with my life. And all of a sudden four people go, you work for invisible children. What's happening with that? And I'm sitting there telling them about these radio towers blowing their minds in the middle of CJ surrounded by people. And they're like, Whoa, that's awesome. They, they came to my school in high school. It's so cool that you work for them. And you know, my friend John last night was like, you like, what's going on? I saw like, your post on Facebook and you guys were on Oprah. Like, can you tell me about that? And he calls his girlfriend over. Have you met her? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to go home and work on my sermon. I was there for a while talking. I'm sorry. That's why this is so jumbled. But God just is like, yeah. But think about it in the aspect of like the gospel. How, you know, as a roadie, I'm identified by this title of invisible children, but God has identified you with him. So I hope if nothing more, you get be alive, be yourself, create, and die to yourself every day. I thank you guys so much for all your help. And I know that these next seven months are going to be possible because of the support and the love that I have from you. And I can't thank you enough. And I pray for this church all the time. I listen to the sermons. I'm actually, I'm here. I'm here with you guys. I love you guys so much. And I hope you know that you are a part of ending this war. I'm bringing these kids home. And I hope that you pray and pray and pray for these kids. Because they need to come home. So, should we stand up and pray? <laughs> I can't.